0: Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. This Urban Farm podcast is brought to you by the 2018 Food Revolution Summit. I say food choices are our most important factor to staying healthy. The Food Revolution Summit helps us in this discovery process. It's free, online, and features 24 top food and health experts teaching us how to reduce the risk of the most notable diseases of our time. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to sign up for this life-changing event. Today on our podcast, we have someone who keeps critters and pests out of our yard and garden humanely and safely. We're talking with Teresa Rooney, about humane critter control. Teresa is a self-taught, lifelong gardener. She is a master gardener who has turned her small urban yard into a certified national wildlife habitat, home to an increasing number of welcome and unwelcome critters. She has written articles for Minnesota Gardener magazine, teaches gardening classes, and is the author of The Complete Guide to Humane Critter Control, published by our friends at Quarto Publishing. Welcome to the show today, Teresa. Are you ready to rock the garden critter?
1: Greg, I am ready to rock the garden critters today.
0: Cool. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: I can do that. I'm the oldest of a large family, and we grew up always having pets. So I love animals. I used to keep fish, and I had a pet dog, and that was my dog. Animals were for me. And then my mother always grew a garden, always had a garden. Us kids worked in the garden, Mm -hmm. but we also, she'd grow things like peas, and we would sneak out there and eat all the peas or (laughs) all the beans. Little did we know that she was tricking us into eating our vegetables. Right. So as I grew up as a teenager, I had a lot of houseplants in my bedroom, lots of like butter and avocado trees and spider plants, things like that, that I thought every teenager had. They don't. That was kind of weird. And my mother had a lot of houseplants in our house. So when I'd visit other people's houses, they didn't have pets and they didn't have houseplants. And I thought, that's a really kind of sterile environment. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to keep those things in my life. Lived in apartments for years. I would grow the plants I could, have the cats I could. Finally got a house. minute I got into the house, tore up the front yard, started planting things. Right now I have a small yard filled with plants, filled with chickens, and there's no turf. And then I became a master gardener, and mm-hmm. I found out I really like to learn about gardening. I like to share that information with people. And I wanted to share good information with them and help them figure out how to work with their garden, their land, and the insects and critters that they have in their land.
0: That's where I am. Beautiful. Well, I had Bill McDormand on the show recently, and he gave me a piece of data. He said that gardening is the biggest hobby in our country.
1: It is. And yeah. bird watching is second. That's what he said. Wow bird watchers are lots of times gardeners and gardeners are lots of times bird Bird watchers Watchers. and it's really easy for you to be one or the other and get drawn into the dark side and join the (laughs) other group too so it's really easy to have those two go hand in hand because they do go hand in hand
0: exactly before we jump into your book and critters let's talk about your backyard or your your urban yard Certified National Wildlife Habitat. Tell me about that. That sounds fascinating.
1: You know, it sounds so intimidating, doesn't it? But it's really easy. You just have to think, what do animals need? They need things to eat. They need places to raise their young. Mm -hmm. They need water. They need protection. So as long as you can supply those things, you can make your yard a National Wildlife Habitat. Then as each of us makes our yards hospitable to creatures, we can make corridors for animals to wander through and we can help them build up resilient populations Mm -hmm. and it's just amazing so i had to do a little research what do birds like what do you know squirrels like and what kind of trees what kind of shrubs it was very interesting so i learned a lot doing that i'll bet it was fairly easy to become certified because i had so many things already i didn't have to add any more really but it was fun well
0: nice as i said in the intro We're talking welcome critters, but also unwelcome critters.
1: There are unwelcomes. Mm -hmm.
0: So I live in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona. We're four and a half million people right here in the middle of the Sonoran Desert. And, you know, if you stood on my roof and looked 50 miles in each direction, you'd see houses. Mm -hmm. And not six weeks ago, there was a raccoon on our back patio.
1: Sure. You know, it's amazing how the animals can adjust to living with us. They're more flexible than we are in some Uh respects. They can adjust living with us and we have such a problem living with them. Yeah. So I think they're more flexible and adaptable than a lot of humans are. Mm-hmm. But we can easily become flexible and adaptable so we all get along.
0: Well, there you go. Well, and you you told me before we started recording you said that that didn't surprise you at all that there would be a raccoon no. on our back patio or bobcats. It's not. You know, no. recently bobcats have shown up on the property here.
1: That's amazing. That cuz they're a little more skittish, but uh-huh. you know they they've got cougars out in California. We have coyotes here right in almost downtown Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and if you saw the PBS special on the coyote wolf, they are actually everywhere in our cities in Chicago. There's so many that are living right there that you don't even know, because wow. we're asleep when they're out.
0: Yeah. These are the kind of critters we're talking about, I'm going to say, creating a relationship. You call it Humane Critter Control, the guide to natural non-toxic pest solutions to protect your yard and garden. So tell us about your book.
1: I was contacted out of the blue one September day, and at first I thought the email was a joke, and then I figured, oh, I thought they were spamming me or something. Uh But then I talked to the people, and they just wanted me to write a book on humane critter control, and I thought, well, I could do this. So I started it, and I worked with them, and I believe that Quarto did a fantastic job on the illustrations. It's Mm -hmm. amazing what they did there. But they were easy to work with. We got the book going, and I had to do a little bit of research, actually a lot of research, and kind of get it all together. But I was able to incorporate a lot of the things I think, a lot of the things that have worked for me and things that haven't worked for me into the book to help people and garden with pests and other critters that they may have around. And they're not really pests. They're just issues and challenges that we have to deal with. Right.
0: So your concern is that we not put more chemicals out in the world.
1: You know, chemicals are legal. And as a master gardener, I have Uh to say, if they're legal, you can use them. I just want people to understand there's repercussions to every single Mm -hmm. action or inaction you take. So, you know, use things responsibly. But there's so many times where you don't have to use those things. You can do something else. It saves you money. It makes it nicer for the environment environment and the animals, and you actually come away with a better result, I think. So it's just so much fun to do it that way, rather than just automatically kill something and get rid of it. Right. Because Mother Nature has the way of dealing with things, and she does it really, really well, Uh and humans don't do it all that well. And every time you take control doing something that Mother Nature does, you have to keep controlling that all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's just easier to let her figure out how to handle it. Right.
0: So one of the strategies that I see in your book is plants, using plants to control critters. Tell us about that.
1: All right. What I did is I have a lot of edibles in my yard Mm because I wanted my yard Mm -hmm. to be a garden of eating so that anywhere in the yard, you could find something to eat in case you're weeding out there and you get really tired. There's some blueberries or something you can grab so you Mm -hmm. can keep your strength Mm -hmm. up while you're doing whatever. And I found that... All that food brought in a lot of animals. Uh, it does. So after, it does. So after a year or two of growing peaches, the squirrels now know where to get peaches all summer long right. and cherries okay. and things. So there's different things to do. What I did was I planted lots of fruit trees. So that there's a lot of fruit for me and the animal. So you can share. So you just plant multiples of everything. And I plant a variety of things. So I have cherries, I have apples, I have apricots and mm-hmm. plums. So I have a variety. So if something doesn't work or fails that year, we all still have something to eat. Also growing a lot of herbs really help. I had problems with bunnies one year where they were girdling my trees. And you can put cl- hardware cloth around the Right. But at that time, I didn't have any. So what I did is I pulled up a bunch of old garlic chives. And I kind of wrapped them around the trunk of the tree. Oh, now, whether it really worked or whether it was just, I was just lucky, I don't know. But the smell of the garlic kept the bunnies from the tree. Mm-hmm. So, because I didn't have garlic spray and I didn't have anything to physically prevent them. So using herbs that have big fragrances, those fragrances can hide the other plants from the bunnies or the deer or whatever is trying to get to the animals. Yeah to the food that you're looking at, that you're trying to save.
0: That's using something as a repellent and there's multiple different kinds of repellents out there that we can use, right?
1: There certainly are. You can buy some or you can make your own using garlic and rotten eggs. the hot pepper sprays, you have to remember that the hot pepper sprays are a contact repellent. So when something Mm. bites into it, then it gets the hot mouth, it gets the... So they've already bit into your tomato or they've already bit into your squash. So they've already done the damage. So using a smelly repellent, it works better in those situations.
0: All right. Uh, So rotten eggs, you said, will work.
1: I don't know that I would let eggs get rotten and (laughs) then put them in something. But those are some of the repellents that you will find on the market mm. that will be very fragrant. You put them down and maybe you'll smell them at first, but after a little while, your nose is not as sensitive right. and the smell level goes down, but it still bothers the animals.
0: I love that you said fragrant. Now, I wouldn't call rotten eggs fragrant or sulfur for that matter, fragrant, but I guess that is one way of explaining it.
1: You know, and it's all just how you look at things. Uh-huh. You can look at things negative or positive, And so many times if you just change how you look at something you can see it in a whole different light and you can accept what's going on or you can see other ways to deal with yeah. it rather than just putting a negative connotation on it yeah you smell that icky smell and you say oh i don't like that but uh-huh. you know what the rabbits don't like it either yeah this is a good thing
0: exactly so you know there, there's some pestilence out there that is you know problematic like rats where you know i've yes. had to deal with rats here with the chickens we're going to talk about chickens here in a little while but I've had yes. to deal with rats around chickens. What what are your suggestions around rat management?
1: You know, when you have a critter that you really don't want, you have to make sure your chickens are safe because the rats can get in and actually... Mm-hmm impact your chicken population so you're going to have to use hardware cloth and those cases too you may want to do some trapping and humanely dispose of them those are animals you don't want and those are things that you really don't want to have to live with there are just some critters that you know cause diseases and bring things in that you have to say no you cannot be here Mm -hmm. and so you have to take stronger whether it's a repellent or good fencing and or trapping and humanely disposing i don't mean letting it go somewhere i mean you have to humanely dispatch kill the animal yeah. in a humane fashion, but always do it with love and humanity in your heart.
0: Yeah. You know, like I've heard of the possibility of poisoning animals before, and there's so many problems with that. The biggest of which is that what if your cat eats a, you know, a poisoned rat, then you're poisoning your cat.
1: Or what if that wonderful owl that will prey on the rats or the rabbits mm-hmm. eats that animal and then dies? Now you've lost your predator that was helping you. Yeah. It's putting something in the environment that you really don't want and not just the environment thinking of the ground or the water, but it's your life and your living space to do. You really want to poison in your living space that can impact anything. So you just don't even want to go that route. Yeah.
0: Well, that's why I've been organic here at the Urban Farm for 29 years. You know, I don't want to put that out there. I have bigger concerns about that. So
1: <laughs> yes, well, you you know, and I want to say right off the bat that organic is wonderful, but some of our most strong poisons are organic. So always know what you're getting into when you read stuff. I mean, there's some really strong poisons that are organic out there. So just think of that.
0: Yeah. So what are some tips for, you know, generally keeping the critters away?
1: You have to kind of think, and this sounds funny, but you have to think like an animal or mm-hmm. think like an insect. Why would that animal or insect find your yard attractive? Is there cover for it? Is there food for it? Is there water? Are there safe areas where the predators can't get to them? Is there a place for them to raise their young? And this is good and bad. So, so you have to think, Do I am I providing those things? If you're providing those things, they will come. Mm-hmm. It's just like you build it, they will come. So then you have to think, how can I make whatever I want to keep away from them less attractive and let them have something that I don't mind them having, make that more attractive. So there again, disguising what I'm saving. Am I planting it in a strategic location where I know there the critters aren't going to be? Is there something that I can plant close to the house where I can watch it very carefully so if I do get an aphid infestation, I can deal with it quickly, not putting it far away from the house where maybe it gets away from me and I don't catch it. Right. so you just kind of have to think like a critter mm-hmm. put yourself in their little claws and figure out how you can make them think you don't they don't want to eat that squash they want to eat whatever you're growing for them in another area
0: yeah well and then so recently with the bobcats and the raccoons on our back patio I communicated with the Arizona Department of Game and Fish. They had shared with me that the four-legged creatures are, their populations are exploding more and there's really not anything they can do about urban wildlife except monitor it some. But one of the things they did share was, you know, if you have pet food out or, you know, chicken food or cat food or dog food, you don't want to leave that out at night.
1: That's exactly right because most of these animals are active at night. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure your garbage cans are secure your grill is clean your patio is swept up of crumbs the birds have eaten all the bird food so there's no bird food left in the feeders at night or on the ground and that your chicken food is locked up and you're not feeding your chickens in the hen house where the food just sits there and then that could attract critters too so yeah if you're feeding your dog outside you need to make sure that bowl is empty at the end of the night yeah and because that's when the critters will come and, and they know where it's easier it's easier to eat that dog food than to hunt for worms or whatever they're going to hunt for so it's easier. You don't want to provide easy food for them. Right. They still have to be hunting and doing what they have to do.
0: So think like the critter and don't provide easy for them.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. See it's so easy. There's no problem. (laughs) Right. Eat the cake.
0: (laughs) So I hear you've had to protect your urban chickens like we have had here from critters so tell us about that
1: well i've had raccoons so i do have raccoons and and they have one year i was gone over the weekend and it was so hot and i was worried about my chickens and i told my neighbor just leave the hen house open because it was 95 or 100 degrees with 90 percent humidity. and i thought well at least then but the raccoons got in and killed four chickens so i realized that's not an option and so they do get locked up every night and i make sure that they're only in there and one thing i do for my chickens to protect them is i I have a baby monitor in the hen house oh my gosh
0: so
2: do we
1: it's fun you can hear them settling down at night as they do their little purry noise mm-hmm. and it's just so sweet you know all the girls are safe you can go out there and lock them up they're all safe you hear anything that goes on at night in fact one night i had a two-legged predator that i had to get away from my chicken coop he was trying to steal my chickens and i did have to confront him at four in the morning in my jammies wow. He did get one, but I kept the rest of the girls safe. So now they're under lock and key at night. So even the two-legged predators can't get into
0: them. Wow. So hold on. Some guy, I'm assuming it was a guy, came in and tried to steal your chickens?
1: Yep. I was sitting there, and for some reason I woke up, and I heard a lot of rustling in, in the straw, and I thought, those chickens are being really active at four in the morning. I wonder what they're doing. Is that a mouse? What's going on in there? So I did go out there, and he was just coming out, and I had to confront him. And Wow. He ran away, but I, and the girls, of course, were flying all over the yard at that time. I did manage to catch all of them, uh-huh. but one was missing, Aww. so I don't know if he had her had killed her and she was under his coat or was coming back for a second one. I honestly don't know.
0: Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. So we actually, about a year and a half ago, had a bobcat or bobcats take out about 10 of our hens.
1: Oh, no. Oh, that's so sad.
0: Yeah. And so I ended up building a super coop with hardware cloth. And there's no bobcat or raccoon or coyote getting into our chicken coop. And we added the kids monitor. Yes,
1: yes. Mm -hmm.
0: and have it locked up yeah sounds like we're doing all the right things
1: it sounds like you're doing the right things it's what sometimes you have to do and i i had another friend who over the course of two weekends people came and took her entire flock wow yeah so now her girls are locked up under locking key too it's a sad thing you don't know why people do these things so you have to protect against two and four-legged critters sometimes
0: exactly and then you cover bugs i see in your book as well
1: I do. I love insects. I get so excited when I see a new insect in the yard and mm-hmm. just, just get so excited. So then I can research what is it. Is it good or bad? And there's no bad insects. There's just insects who maybe aren't as welcome as others.
0: There you go. Well, and really, so I get this question all the time. People ask me, well, how do I kill the bug? Why do you want to kill the bug? Yes, that's a good second Question, But also, you have to know what the bug is, don't you?
1: You have to know what the bug is, and you have to know why the bug is there. Yeah. Is that weird little thing that looks like a tiny little alligator all over your plant something bad? No, that's a larval stage of a ladybug. Yep. And those little critters, they eat a lot of aphids. So Mm -hmm. you want those weird little bugs on there. You know, are those earwigs bad for your yard? Well, they look really scary, but they also help with decomposition. They eat a lot of, of dying and dead plant material. Uh So if their populations aren't huge, just leave them alone. Those big stag beetles, let them eat the bugs that they're going to eat. They're scary, but don't worry about it.
0: I got a photograph from somebody one day, and it was this, you know, dime size prehistoric-looking creature that was orange.
1: Oh, wait, cool.
0: Yeah, and they said, how do I kill this bug? And my response to them is, why do you want to kill that bug? It's an assassin bug. They like to eat other
2: bugs. (laughs)
1: I would love to have hundreds of assassin bugs in my yard.
2: Exactly. They're wonderful. Yeah.
1: And part of that is just, you know, helping people understand that everything has its purpose out Mm -hmm. there and you need to find out what its purpose is. Because if you never have aphids, you may never see ladybugs in your yard. So sometimes you have to have some of the ickier bugs to bring in some of the good bugs that you like.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things I've noticed in 29 years here at the Urban Farm is that when there's a balance... There's some aphids and there's some, you know, other kinds of bugs. And then the ladybugs show up. Then the balance stays.
1: Yes, it goes in a little cycle and you can understand it and you can just sit back really and enjoy it because it's nature putting on all the shows that she puts on. The population's rising and falling. It's so much fun to watch and see and and spend time in your garden checking that out. Beautiful. So
0: I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it.
1: Well, this is kind of a duh moment, and, and I feel a little embarrassed, but let's Good. just share this with the whole world. So my garden, I created it as a certified wildlife habitat, uh-huh. and then I grew a lot of edibles, and I was getting really frustrated because the squirrels and the raccoons were taking my apples and, I, and the peaches and the apricots. I was getting so mad. Why are they here? Then it dawned on me, you have a certified wildlife <laughs> habitat. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? So then I had to shift and say, oh, okay, I get it now. I can share. I don't need 85 bushels of apples. I can bag the apples that I want to keep and let the squirrels and the raccoons eat the rest. Mm -hmm. So I can change how I'm perceiving the issue and I can save what I want to save. Or I can just say, hey, isn't this great that I'm feeding these critters and they're eating healthy and They're not doing damage to other things like my tomatoes or the squashes because they're eating the cherries. And the birds coming to eat the cherries, there's a lot of birds that eat the cherries at the top of the tree. I eat the cherries at the bottom of the tree. There's plenty for all of us. So it's not that big of a deal. I had that aha moment and I just kind of hit my head and just like, whoa, (laughs) you didn't think that one through very carefully. But that's a live and learn and then adjust and see the good side of it.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, you're planting enough to share.
1: You plant enough to share. And that way too, you're causing more diversity in your yard.
2: Mm -hmm. So
1: not only am I seeing squirrels, but I may also see things that I normally wouldn't have seen before, different birds. I'm still hoping for snakes and things. They haven't shown up in my yard, but I keep hoping. Yeah. I need to have this activity and this diversity just keep growing in my yard.
0: You mentioned snakes. One of the things that actually lives here at the Urban Farm is a pencil lead size, about three inch long. They're blind black snakes. They almost look like a huge worm.
1: Oh, my goodness. That sounds fascinating. Yeah,
0: I I found those living in the yard, oh, maybe five or six years ago. And it's like, my gosh, what is this? And they're, they're called little blind snake.
1: Little blind snakes. Oh, that's amazing. Snakes are one of my favorite animals. And when I had a public community garden, I had some bag full of leaves sitting there, a plastic bag. Mm -hmm. And I noticed one day it was moving and I thought, what is in that? What's going on? So I picked it up and anybody else probably would have screamed. But I picked it up and out came two snakes, easily two, three feet long. I don't know what kind they were. Uh They obviously weren't poisonous. We were in this nice warm bag with these leaves and the sunshine, and you bothered us, and they took off those two little snakes. Uh But I thought that was so cool, knowing that the snakes were in my garden, Mm -hmm. and then we had less problems with mice and things like that in the garden. I just thought that was amazing to see, and it was a suburb of Minneapolis, but it was fun Uh to see that.
0: Nice. So what do you consider your biggest success?
1: You know, it could be growing things, but I think the biggest success is Every day I can see in my yard how things are working together and that just makes me want to help them work together more. Yeah. And I've learned about permaculture and things like that. And it just helps me to be more at one with my garden. And it sounds kind of foo-foo-y, but it helps me garden better yeah. because okay. I can then sense what's going to happen. I can anticipate what's going to happen. So that's my biggest success, just becoming more aware of what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. in the garden, what the temperature is doing, what the wind is doing, what the soil looks like, how the soil is responding, how the plants are responding. What are the plants telling me when I walk outside? Are they saying they need more water? Are they saying we've got enough water, maybe we need some pruning? What are the plants telling me? It's just helping me be more aware of what's actually going on in the garden. So I can really just be more at one with the garden and release some of the stress of my regular life
0: you know, there's a balance. And I've found over the decades that I've been gardening is the healthiest gardens that I have are the balanced ones, balanced in nature.
1: Exactly. And those are the gardens you're probably actually putting less work and time and effort into. Exactly. And I tell people that and they look at me like I'm crazy. It's like, no, if you can get it healthy, It kind of takes care of itself Mm -hmm. and you can take all the credit and mother nature will do 85% of the work and you can sit back and drink your Mai Tais along on the nice (laughs) teas or beers or whatever that you want. And you can take all the credit and do all the harvest and really enjoy it that way. So it's just so much easier on you and more pleasant.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I've found, there's this amazing abundance when we let nature be in balance that shows up, that gives us, you know, a crop of amazing, you know, hundreds of pounds of apples or cherries. Have you found that?
1: Yes, if the soil is healthy, and your environment is healthy, nature just like almost overwhelms you with the wonderful response. You can get the flowers, the herbs, the fruit, the vegetables. You can be overwhelmed with how wonderful and abundant it mm-hmm. is. And then you remember, that's just like my savings account. If I'm taking that abundance out, I've got to put something back in. So I need to make sure I'm putting the compost back in or I'm adding the water that's necessary or I'm putting a little bit of care into it. So it's a give and take. And it always seems you get more more than you ever put in. It's just amazing. (laughs) It's just because nature wants to be abundant. That's what nature does. It wants to fill up every space with something and be abundant and just amazing. And you just got to step back and let her do it.
0: Beautiful. So what drives you?
1: What drives me? I think that's what drives me. And it drives me that we have a world that's, it almost seems precarious now. Our climate is changing. The animals are, are being killed and becoming extinct. And we're destroying our water and we're destroying our air and nature can heal itself. We just have to stop doing the madness and let nature heal itself. And this is my little way of helping us look at it nicely and be more gentle and be kinder and just work more with nature so that we can heal this planet because we can. It's the only place we have right now to live, so we've got to take care of it. (laughs) We don't have another place to go to right now, so we've got to take care of it. And I think by not being preachy, but by showing what I'm doing and just gently coaxing people along and showing them how much fun it is to do it this way Mm -hmm. and how much easier it is to do it this way, that I can bring a lot of people over to this side. Yeah. Of just having fun in the garden and, and being kind to the world.
0: Yeah. And that's what I do too. It's like, you hold up this thing called gardening and growing your own food. And it's like, you can do this too when it's easy. And people get excited.
1: They do. And then they taste that first peach or that first apple or the first tomato. And they just say, this tastes nothing like what I get at the store. It's even better than the farmer's market. And its food mile was 15 feet. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And they know that then they can go out to their yard at any time and find something to eat, something to feed their families. So if if the trucks are breaking down or gas is too expensive and the price of food goes crazy, you can feed your family a little bit from what you're doing in your yard. And it's amazing what your yard can do. You don't even need that much space. It's amazing what you can do out there. And then you will have critters coming in. So think about how you can deal with them so you're not having to all of a sudden bite them. Because there's other ways you can get around that.
0: Perfect. So, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: I can't recommend one.
0: <laughs>
1: I have to have two. Okay. The first one I want to mention is called Bringing Nature Home by Doug Talamy, T A L L A M Y. And this book, it opened my eyes to the native critters, the native insects, mostly insects and animals and what they need to live and why you may want to grow natives and let some of those weeds. So I have weeds sometimes in my yard and they're being eaten up, but the insects are eating those weeds. They're not eating those plants that I planted.
2: Mm, They're eating the
1: weeds. So let them eat the weeds because then they leave my vegetables alone. So it just changed my mind about damage that you may see on your plants. So now when I see damage on my plants, uh-huh. I get so excited and I'm happy because something is eating those plants and that means my yard's more diverse. It sounds kind of goofy, but that's what I do. The other book that I would recommend is Planting in a Post-Wild World, and that's by Thomas Rains, R-A-I-N-E-S, mm-hmm. and Claudia West. I heard him speak and I saw the book. I had to get the book and I thought, this is what I've been thinking all the time, but he writes it so that... It doesn't sound goofy and it makes sense. And it's just everything we've talked about today, growing things in layers and letting mother nature do what mother nature does Mm -hmm. and working with what you've got. And it's a really good book. So those are two that I would recommend for sure.
0: Beautiful. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: If you think you have a problem, always know what the problem is. So identify the insect, the disease, the critter before you make any moves. And then think it through, figure out your possibilities, and do the least toxic, least impactful on the earth method that you can use. So identification is most important. You have to know what you're dealing with. If you're going to spray something and you spray the wrong thing, you're not going to impact the critter you're trying to get rid of or you're not going to take care of what your problem is. So you need to identify what you've got first.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Teresa.
1: It's been my pleasure, Greg. Thank you and happy gardening to everybody out there.
0: Perfect. And how can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: Well, I do have a personal email. I'm not that efficient at it yet. It's terry.1998.tr at gmail.com. Perfect. And I also have a Facebook, Teresa Rooney, and it'll actually, the little picture for the right Teresa Rooney is my book, The Complete Guide to Humane Critter Control. So I have that as my little icon, my little avatar. Oh, nice.
0: Nice, nice, nice. You can also find show notes from today's podcast and a link for her book at urbanfarm.org forward slash critter control. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then, let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your Urban Farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. My intent with the Urban Farm Podcast is to educate and inform. So when I find a particularly good opportunity, I want to share it with everyone. The 2018 Food Revolution Summit is one of them. As you listen, you will be informed informed inspired and motivated to improve your health you'll get cutting-edge insights and information from 24 of the top food and health experts in the world hosted by my friend Ocean Robbins with interviews conducted by best-selling author John Robbins this annual week-long online event is free to attend you will learn from experts you can trust about how to improve your health and reduce your risk of chronic disease sign up at urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to join the revolution.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together.